You are now listening to Mark's Unexplained World by Mark the Medium from Hinkley Community Radio, a non-profit podcast radio station. Tonight's episode is about the Great Beer Flood of 1814. So it's over to you, Mark. The Great London Beer Flood of 1814 was an accident at Mew & Co's Horseshoe Brewery in London, in the UK. The incident took place on the 17th of October 1814, when one of the 22-foot-tall, or 6.7 metres, wooden vats of fermenting porter burst open. The escaping liquid then dislodged the valve of another wooden vat and destroyed several other large barrels in the vicinity. A total of between 128,000 and 323,000 imperial gallons of beer were released into the streets of London. The brewery was very nearly bankrupted by the event. But most concerning was that eight people were killed, with five of them being mourners at the wake being held by an Irish family for the death of a two-year-old boy. Greetings, Unexplainers. Thank you for tuning in again and listening to this episode of Mark's Unexplained World. My name is Mark Hughes. I'm a psychic medium, a ufologist, and a man who admittedly likes his beer. In this episode, I'm going to tell you about the story surrounding the Great London Beer Flood of 1814. And this week's necessary disclaimer. This story is a tale that sadly involves people losing their lives, so it may prove upsetting to some. You listen at your own discretion. Also, all opinions and comments are strictly my own, but the facts still remain. I also apologise if I pronounce anything incorrectly. My English, although it is my first and only language, will probably sound like I have been drinking a few beers myself. Anyway, let's get back to the story. Mew & Co's Horseshoe Brewery was an English brewery located in the very heart of the city of Westminster. The Horseshoe Brewery was first established in 1764 on the junction of Tottenham Court Road and Oxford Street. By 1785 it was owned by a gentleman named Thomas Fassett and by 1787 It had the 11th largest output of porter of any London brewery, producing around 40,279 barrels a year. 
1792, the brewery had changed hands and was then owned by John Stevenson the Younger, who was the son of a British Parliament member, John Stevenson the Elder, I presume. And in 1794, the brewery then changed ownership once again and was passed on to the businessman Edward Bailey who then ran the brewery until January 1809. Edward Bailey then went into partnership with two other gentlemen, namely John Blackburn and Edward Gale Bolero. But towards the end of 1809, the brewery changed hands yet again and was acquired by business and brewery specialist Henry Mew. Henry Mew had been a partner in one of the largest of London's porter brewers, namely Mew Reed of the Griffin Brewery, located in Clerkenwell, central London. So the company then started to trade under the name of Henry Mew & Co. By 1811, Henry Mew & Co's annual production had reached up to 103,502 barrels per year moving it up in the rankings to the sixth largest brewer of porter in London. The Horseshoe Brewery became part of the new identity or brand and was finally incorporated into its logo so that in 1813 and 1814 the Mew & Co's Horseshoe Brewery then next merged with Clowes & Co of Bermondsey. Henry Mew's father, Sir Richard Mew, who had previously co-owned the aforementioned Griffin Brewery in Licker Pond Street, now Clerkenwell Road, London, had originally constructed the largest vat in London capable of holding 20,000 imperial barrels. Henry Mew emulated his father's large 20,000 imperial barrels vat and constructed a wooden vessel that was 22 feet or 6.7 meters tall and was actually capable of holding 18,000 imperial barrels by using 80 long tons of iron hoops that were used to strengthen the wooden container at regular intervals. Henry Mew only brewed porter which was a dark beer that was first brewed in London and was the most popular alcoholic drink in the capital. Mew & Co brewed 102,493 imperial barrels of porter in the 12 months up to the July of 1812. By far the best version of porter was the ones that were left in the large vessels to mature for at least several months or even up to a full year. At the rear of the brewery ran New Street, which was a small cul-de-sac that joined onto Diet Street, which was within the St Giles Rookery. The St Giles Rookery, which covered an area of eight acres, was, according to 
Professor of Irish Literature Richard Kirkland, and I quote, a perpetually decaying slum, seemingly always on the verge of social and economic collapse. The preacher of um, Westminster St James and author of the 1852 work The Rookeries of London, Past, Present and Perspective, Thomas Beams, described the St Giles Rookery as, and I quote, a rendezvous of the scum of society. The area, St Giles Rookery, had been the inspiration for William Hogarth's 1751 print Gin Lane. And on our first interesting side note for this podcast, the books Gin Lane and Beer Street are two prints of the same book issued in 1751 by English artist William Hogarth in support of what would become the Gin Act. Both books were designed to be viewed alongside each other as they depict the evils of the consumption of gin as a contrast to the merits of drinking beer. Simply put, William Hogarth portrays the inhabitants of Beer Street as happy, healthy and nourished by the native English small beer and ale, while those who live in Gin Lane are portrayed as having been destroyed by their addiction to the foreign spirit of gin. Gin Lane shows shocking scenes of infanticide, starvation, madness, decay and suicide, while Beer Street depicts industry, health and a thriving commerce. After this first short break, in part two, we will look at exactly what happened in Mew & Co's Horseshoe Brewery that started the Great London Beer Flood of 1814. This show is brought to you courtesy of Neil Packer and the Haunted Antiques Paranormal Research Centre. Find them online at www.hauntedresearchcentre.com or at 9211 Regent Street, Hinkley, LE10 1AW. Open on Saturdays from 10am to 4pm for guided tours of the haunted rooms at just £3 per person. Booking is essential at all times and over 16s only please unless accompanied by an adult. The haunted rooms are extremely haunted and paranormal activity could and has taken place at any time. Some areas and particular objects or items can be quite scary and unnerving. Membership is available for £25 to qualify for selective offers. And why not download the app available on both iOS and Android for only £3.99 to keep up to date with what is coming up at the centre. 
It all started on the 17th of October, 1814, at around 4.30 in the afternoon. And Mew and Co's storehouse clerk, uh, Mr George Crick, noticed that one of the 320 kilogram iron hoops around one of the 22 feet tall vats had slipped. This particular tall vat containing 3,555 imperial barrels of 10-month-old porter was filled to within four inches from the top. But as it was quite common for the iron hoops to occasionally slip off the vats, George Crick was not too concerned, so he just informed his supervisor about the hoop problem, who then told George, and I quote, that no harm whatsoever would ensue. His supervisor then told George to write a note to one of the partners of the brewery, uh, a Mr Young, uh, to have the hoop repaired. About an hour or so after the iron hoop fell off the tall vat, the storehouse clerk, George Crick, who was standing on a platform about 30 feet away from the aforementioned vat, was holding the note for the aforementioned Mr Young, when suddenly, without warning, the aforementioned vat burst. The force of the 3,555 imperial barrels of 10-month-old porter's release proved too much for the 22-foot-tall vat and gushed gushed out with such a force that it knocked the stopcock from the neighbouring vat, which also then began discharging its contents, destroying several hogheads of porter with their contents adding to the flood. On a quick interesting side note, a hogshead is a large cask of liquid. More specifically, it refers to a specified volume measured in either imperial or US customary measures, primarily applied to alcoholic beverages such as wine, ale or cider. English philologist Walter William Skeet noted the origin is to be found in the name for a cask or liquid measure appearing in various forms in Germanic languages. A hogshead in Britain contains about 300 litres. The force of the alcoholic liquid destroyed the 25 foot high and two and a half bricks thick rear wall of the Mew & Co brewery. Some of the bricks from the destroyed rear wall of the brewery were then knocked upwards and fell onto the roofs of the houses in the nearby neighbourhoods. The wave of porter, which some claim was at least 15 feet or 4.6 metres high, then swept down into a nearby road called New Street, where it completely destroyed two houses and badly damaged two others. In one of the houses on New Street, a four-year-old girl named Hannah Banfield was having tea with her mother and another child, when suddenly the wave of alcohol swept the mother and the second child into the street and, unfortunately, killed 
the four-year-old Hannah Banfield. Meanwhile, in the second destroyed house, a wake was being held by an Irish family for a two-year-old little boy. The boy's mother, Anne Saville, and her and, and four other mourners, including Mary Mulvey and her three-year-old son, with two other ladies called Elizabeth Smith and Catherine Butler, were all killed by the flood of Porter. Another victim to the Porter flood was 14-year-old Eleanor Cooper, who worked as a serving girl at the publican house of the Tavistock Arms in Great Russell Street, which backed onto the Mew and Co brewery. Eleanor died when she was buried under the brewery's collapsed rear wall while she was washing pots and pans in the pub's outside garden. And another child, Sarah Bates, was found dead in another house, again by the flood in New Street. The land around the building of the Mew and Co brewery was low-lying and flat with insufficient drainage. This meant that the escaping beer flowed into the cellars and with many of these cellars being inhabited at the time it meant that people were forced to climb onto furniture to avoid drowning. All the staff in the brewery survived although three workmen had to be rescued from the rubble from the collapsed wall and the superintendent and one of the workers had to be taken to Middlesex Hospital along with three other workmen. A total of between 128,000 and 323,000 Imperial guns of Porter were released into the streets of Westminster that day. There were reports a few days later of hundreds of people collecting the beer in buckets, pots, pans and various other containers that they could use, which caused mass drunkenness. And not only that, but the reports also claimed that there were many deaths from mass alcoholic poisoning. However, According to the brewery historian, a Mr Martin Cornell, he states that several newspapers at the time of the incident made no reference to the revelry or to the later deaths. Instead, the newspapers reported that the crowds were very well behaved. Martin Cornell also points out that the popular press at the time did not particularly like the immigrant Irish population that lived in St Giles. So if there had been any misbehaviour, it would have been reported. Newspaper reports of the area surrounding the rear of the Mew and Co. Sorry, I'll try that one again. Mew and Co. Brewery claimed that, and I quote, The scene of desolation presents a most awful and terrific appearance, equal to that which a fire or earthquake may be supposed to the occasion. The aftermath of the incident became immensely popular viewing, with watchmen at the Mew Co brewery charging people to view the remains of the destroyed beer vats with other with, sorry, with over several hundred spectators coming to view the scene. 
The mourners who were killed in the accident were given their own wake at the ship public house in Bainbridge Street. And the other bodies from the incident were, were laid out in a nearby yard by their families so that the local public could come to pay their respects and especially donate money for their funerals. After this second short break, in part three, we will look at the coroner's inquest and the aftermath from the Portal Flood, Porter Flood incident. Fright Nights was established in 1999 as the first company in the world to offer overnight ghost hunt experiences to the general public, pioneering paranormal events since the last century. Fright Nights operate at hundreds of the UK's most haunted and exclusive venues. All events have their own team of experienced paranormal investigators, mediums and psychics. They have a VIP members club for regular returning guests, offering loyalty discounts and exclusive invitation-only events. They can also host private events for your family and friends. You can contact them on 07852998628 or email them at office at frightnights.co.uk or take a look at their website at www.frightnights.co.uk where you can see the many locations they investigate and learn about them and the opportunities they have available. Hundreds of ghost hunters join Fright Nights every month for the most thrilling ghost hunting experiences they'll never forget. If you haven't been on a ghost hunt before, then why not join them to see what it's all about? Why not visit their social media sites for up-to-date information on all the places they visit and to see what's coming up in the future? They look forward to seeing you all soon. Fright Nights Ghost Hunting Events. Remember, only the original will do. Coroner's inquest, which was held on the 19th of October 1814 at the workhouse of St Giles Parish, the coroner for Middlesex, George Hodgson, oversaw proceedings. The names of the victims were read out as follows. Eleanor Cooper, aged 14. Mary Mulvey, aged 30, and her son Thomas Murray, aged 3. Hannah Banfield, aged four years, four months. Sarah Bates, aged three years, five months. Anne Saville, aged 60. Elizabeth Smith, aged 27. And Catherine Butler, aged 65. On an interesting side note here, Inquests in England and Wales are held in cases of any sudden or unexplained deaths. In England and Wales, the inquests are the responsibility of the coroner, 
who operates under the jurisdiction of the Coroners and Justice Act 2009. In some circumstances where an inquest cannot view or hear all the evidence, it may be suspended and a public inquiry will be held with the consent of the Home Secretary. There is a general duty upon every person to report a death to the coroner, especially if an inquest is likely to be required. However, this duty sorry, is largely unenforceable in practice, so the duty falls on the shoulders of any responsible registrar. Where the cause of death is unknown, the coroner may order a post-mortem examination in order to determine whether the death was violent. If the death is found to be non-violent, then an inquest is necessary. Unnecessary. Sorry, is unnecessary. My apologies. The coroner, George Hodson, took the jurors to the scene of the events at the Muenco's Horseshoe Brewery, and there they viewed both the brewery and the bodies before the evidence was taken away from the witnesses. The first witness was the storehouse clerk, George Crick, who had seen the event happen in full, with his brother also being one of the men who had been injured during the incident. George Crick pointed out that the 320 kilogram iron hoops that were on the 22 feet tall vats usually failed about three or four times a year. However, there had never been any previous problems such as this time. Accounts were also heard from the landlord of the Tavistock Arms, Richard Hawes, whose barmaid, the aforementioned 14-year-old Eleanor Cooper, had been killed in the accident. The jury later returned a verdict that the eight victims had lost their lives, and I quote, Casually, accidentally, and by misfortune. Due to the coroner's inquest reaching a verdict of an act of God, you and co did not have to pay out any compensation. On another interesting side note, in legal usage of the English-speaking world, an act of God is a natural hazard outside of human control, such as an earthquake or tsunami, which frees someone from the liability of what happens. An act of God may amount to an exception to liability in contracts, or it may be called an insured peril on an insurance policy. In Scottish law, the equivalent term is damnum fatale, or roughly translated as loss arriving from an inevitable accident. While in common law, the most proper legal system use, systems use the term of an act of God. Due to the disaster, the lost porter, the damage to the buildings and the replacement of the vat, the cost to Mew & Co was £23,000. 
And according to the Bank of England's um, inflation calculator, in today's money, that is about 1,500,000. Well, you could certainly buy a few bites of ale with that, couldn't you? After a private petition was raised by Mew & Co to Parliament, they managed to recover about £7,250 from Her Majesty's Customs and Excise, which was a pretty good thing, really, because it saved them from certain or definite bankruptcy. As a result of the accident, large wooden vats or tanks were phased out across the whole brewing industry and replaced with lined concrete vessels. Mew & Co's Horseshoe Brewery went back into the brewing business soon after the flooding accident, but eventually closed its doors back in 1921 when the brewery moved their production to the Nine Elms Brewery in Wandsworth, in an area of south-west London, which they had purchased back in 1914. At the time of its 1921 closure, the site covered 103,000 square feet. The empty brewery building was demolished the following year in 1922, and was replaced with the Dominion Theatre. Mew & Co went into liquidation in 1961. Thank you all for taking the time out to listen to this episode of Mark's Unexplained World. In our next episode, show number 82, we are going to be looking at the strange story of the Trump family. The Trumps were a normal, hard-working, happy family until one day the, f the family of five all disappeared on a tech-free road trip. And then a week later, after a journey of 995 miles, each family member turns up one by one in various locations. The hunt for the family ended up with a police investigation and following that two of the family members went into psychiatric care. This was a missing person case that had Australia totally this show was written and researched by myself, Mark Hughes, and proofread and edited by Linda Hughes. The pronunciation of all the names and places, though, was all mine. The actors in this episode were Mark Hughes, Linda Hughes and Denise Pooler. With special thanks to Neil Packer and the staff at the Haunted Antiques Paranormal Research Centre in Hinckley. And a big thank you to everyone for listening. Mark's Unexplained World. Because there's more to the paranormal than meets the third eye. And remember guys, keep it real. Because being real is better than being perfect. This show and all its contents are covered by basic copyright of Mark the Medium. <laughs>